Welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Preedy. Joining me today, we are doing Q2 updates, so getting you all ready for your uh, interims. And I'm joined by the lovely Jessica Ture and Larry Dodak. So welcome back, both of you. We're going to cover a few topics today. There are other podcasts you can listen to for Q2 reminders, listeners. So uh, Tony brought out on our last podcast a whole summary. We did two days of the African 20 minutes, which I thought was quite... I think we went <laughs> to 21 minutes, but I thought that was quite impressive of Tony. That's very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Sandra, Mark and Chris also brought out 20 minutes on eyeball reform mm-hmm. so we're not going to cover those today um, hopefully you can listen to the other podcasts and um, Jessica I'm going to come to you first and uh, you being a leases guru I thought we'd mm. start with IFRS 16 yep. um, what should companies be thinking about in their IFRS 16 interim disclosures yeah well of course it's the great great big new standard exactly. for 2019 everyone's Keeps all really busy. excited about it <laughs> excited I'm not sure <laughs> well, some of us maybe so it, it didn't um, IFRS 16 didn't make any consequential amendments to IS-34. So, so the normal requirements for interim reporting still apply, but clearly because it's a brand new standard, things like having to tell people what your new accounting policies are and telling people what um, the effect of adopting the standard has been on the financial statements are all sort of really important things to do. But of course, there's other areas uh, in IS-34 that should be thought about. So things like well, don't forget about segment reporting, right? So to yeah. the extent you've got some significant non-financial assets now affecting your segments that weren't there before, well, maybe those need to be updated because IS-34 requires you to think about your segment reporting. Other things like, you know, if these are really significant new assets and liabilities that are going on your books, maybe thinking about putting in some of the disclosures that you would have, you would have to do anyway at the yeah. December year end. So I've seen some sample disclosures that uh, people are sort of preparing for their interims and in and, and some of those skeleton accounts, they are actually including sort of a roll forward of right of use assets. So how it started at transition to, to where it is at 30 June. Always helpful to explain how you actually transitioned. So which method did you use? What exemptions you took care of it and stuff like that. I mean, hopefully most of that was already in your December accounts and maybe it's just repeating it again, but we'd expect those to be provided. And then of course, really the last area is probably, are there any updates to sort of your critical judgments, uh, accounting judgments notes and stuff like that? Because it could be that, you know, determining lease term or something like that might be quite significant or critical for the entities involved, depending on how material the leases are. So don't forget to think about that when you're um, doing those disclosures. Perfect. And on that point, is there sort of, as a person that probably gets all our leasing questions fielded to mm-hmm. <laughs> at some point, is there any sort of big judgments or key judgments people should be aware of? So I think it depends on, um, you know, it will depend on what leases you have and how significant yeah. they are and stuff like that. But I think the ones that are sort of most common are how I've thought about determining lease term, whether I've thought about it in, in the broader sense and thinking about, you know, the economic incentives to extend leases or those types of things determining the discount rate so to the extent that it has a you know a, it has a significant impact on your numbers how you've determined it what what judgments you applied in terms of coming up with those numbers what did you start with because I'm, I'm sure lots of people you're doing an incremental borrowing rate rather than um rate implicit in lease because those are just uh, hard to come by so yes yeah, so i think those are probably the two key ones i mean the other the other one that we get a lot of questions on nowadays is sort of whether it is or isn't a lease yeah. So there could be a quite a big judgment depending on w- what industry or what the contract relates to, whether something actually has a lease there in the first place. 
And if it's not a lease, then is it a service or is it some sort of an intangible? So that could be quite a big judgment for somebody to think about. Brilliant. So if they haven't already thought about it, which hopefully they have, <laughs> um, they're, they're the sort of key judgments for people to look out for and definitely think about that in your interim disclosure. Thank you, Jessica. So we've just heard from Jessica around some of the things that we need to think about in IFRS 16 in our interims. Now I'm going to come to you, Larry. Could you tell us about some of the other things people need to think about, about how IFRS 16 interacts with other standards? Uh, great, Ruth. At the June IFRA committee meeting, um, there was a tentative agenda decision reached that talks about determining useful life of non-removable leasehold improvements which is covered under IS-16. And in determining useful life, one considers the expected utility to the entity. In other words, the period that the asset will be used, which might be shorter than the economic life, and that is the period that it could be used. And one of the factors to consider in making that determination are if there are any legal limits on use, like in the expiration date of a lease. And the committee observed that often the useful life of leasehold improvements and a lease term will be the same, but it's not an absolute case. Over the last several podcasts, we've been talking about the interaction of new standards uh, with existing standards. Like most recently, we talked about IFRS 15 and revenue and its interaction with IS 23, capitalization of interest, or IFRS 11 with joint arrangements. And we thought this would be a good opportunity to also talk about interactions with IFRS 16 now that we have this committee's tentative agenda decision. And as a result, we issued an in-depth last week on that very topic. And sometimes the recognition of these new assets and liabilities can be relatively straightforward in applying to existing standards. So take, for example, IFRS 8 segments, and you need to disclose non-current assets by geography. Well, obviously that disclosure will now include right-of-use assets. But some other standards are not quite as straightforward. And for example, that would be IS 36 impairment testing. In most cases, right-of-use assets will not have independent cash flows and therefore will be tested as part of the cash generating unit or CGU. And in that test, you need to compare the carrying value to the recoverable amount of the CGU, which is the higher of fair value, less cost to dispose, or fair value, or value in use. One of my favorite topics. In, value in use. Yeah, in IS 36. <laughs> Down with the value in use. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> now, fair value, less cost to dispose, we think that's going to be relatively straightforward. We would not expect the fair value of CGU to change much just because now we have these assets and liabilities on balance sheet. But the value in use, now that's another matter. It has a rather prescriptive approach, and liabilities are generally excluded from the test. So obviously, if you're excluding the liability, you're going to need to exclude the associated lease payments. But you're not going to exclude all lease payments because you still need to include variable rents or short-term leases, for example, that are not on the balance sheet. And there are other effects on the model, which can also be pretty tricky, like determining the right discount rate to use and things like that. And of course, if there is an impairment, you first reduce goodwill and then you reduce your other non-current assets in the CGU on a pro rata basis. And those assets would, in fact, include the right of use asset. The bottom line is, if you have you know, this situation, you're going to want to take a look at our in-depth, which we just issued last, last week. Brilliant. So if anyone needs that information, that's on Inform. So I think one of the things you noted there, Larry, is like the implications of these new standards. It's not just the new standards are hard to implement. There's loads of other like, interactions with other new standards or old standards. So coming to that, we obviously had IFRS 9 coming in last year. Is there anything around interactions with IFRS 9 people should be aware of for interims? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, the ISV issued an amendment to IS 28, which deals with uh, accounting for associates. And that amendment is effective this year. And it was very helpful in clarifying that equity investments that are accounted for under the equity method, those are clearly outside the scope of IFRS 9. But IFRS 9 does apply to long-term interests in associates that form part of the net investment. You know, so think of things like loans or preferred stock investments. So what are some of the questions that we've been seeing as a result of this amendment? First of all, if an investor makes a loan to an associate, that loan is subject to the full expected credit loss impairment that would be required under IFRS 9. Another question has to do with the determination of interests under IS 28 and those under IFRS 9. Usually that determination is pretty straightforward, but not always. And the key is going back to the standard paragraph 14 is whether the uh, interest gives access to returns associated with an ownership interest in making the determination between which standard would you would follow. And then the last thing I'd probably mention for our audience here would be long-term interests are still subject to the allocation of losses under IRS 28. However, this is separate and distinct from the accounting that would be required under IFRS 9. And this can be quite complicated, you know, dealing with that yeah. interaction. Thankfully, the ISB has issued some illustrative examples which demonstrate how this works. So if you, if you find yourself in that situation, I'd encourage you to take a look at those examples. Quite helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tricky one, that interaction between financial instruments and equity accounting. Never a place you want to be stuck between, <laughs> I think. Probably our last topic, Larry, just to give everyone an update on things that are going on as well, is there's been some um, proposed amendments to IFRS 3. Could you talk us through those? Sure. The board has issued an exposure draft to amend IFRS 3. Basically, it proposes to make three changes without really significantly changing the standard. First is to remove the reference to the old conceptual framework and replace it with the, the new one that was issued at the end of last year. That's an easy one. Yeah. <laughs> the second would be is to move a statement uh, on accounting on contingent assets that was in the basis and to just move it forward into the standard itself. Um, so I would say that that's also another easy one, check. <laughs> and the last thing is to provide an exception for IS-37 in general and IFRIC-21 specifically, which have not yet been updated for the new conceptual framework. So we're still working through you know, what our comments might be as it relates to these three changes. Comment period ends the end of September. So if it's something that of interest, uh, you might want to take a look into that. Brilliant. Okay, perfect. So you've still got time if you uh, have a comment, probably on that last point, but any of the amendments in IFRS 3, the comment period is open till the end of September. Thank you very much for joining us, Larry. So that was a quick run through things you to look at for Q2. Please don't forget as well, we've got that in-depth that Larry mentioned on Inform, and we've got two other podcasts that will be relevant for you. So Tony did his IFRIC podcast that came out uh, two weeks ago, and we also did one with Sandra on the I reform. Um, so hopefully you found that useful and I've been your host Ruth Pretty. Happy accounting. The preceding programme was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.